0: I want to talk to you this morning about the God of the valley. I actually called Pastor Brent or texted him last night, I guess, and I said, um, I want you to sing that song about uh, the God of the mountains, still God of the valley. What a luxury it is as a pastor to say, I'd like to have that song, and, and then he can pop something out like that. We are blessed, folks, we are blessed. <clears throat> uh, I will tell you, he wrote back and said, I'm going to have to get it together. It's really high. And I said, I have no worries that you'll be able to handle it. And so I think he handled it just fine. Would you agree with that this morning? The God of the valley, for all kinds of reasons at any given time, we can easily find ourselves in a place of no strength. In fact, there may even be A notch below that, less than no strength at times, it it certainly feels that way. This is not only true for us as individuals, it is not only true for us corporately as a local fellowship, it also is true for uh, us as the global church of the Lord Jesus. And I'm looking at this from all three perspectives. I would say this idea of having no strength, or less than no strength, is so much so that it would be easy to look across the landscape of our own society and, and begin to question whether or not the church has lost its effect. We've gotten really good at entertainment. We've gotten really good or pretty good at programs. <clears throat> but it remains just as true today as it has ever been that the church of the Lord Jesus needs to turn to God and be able to honor Him even in difficult and challenging times. Is there an amen to that today? That's true individually. That's true corporately. It's true globally. And I just want to declare in this house today that in spite of difficult times. In spite of circumstances that we face, the church of Jesus Christ must rise once again in this generation. There is no alternative. There is no plan B. Are you with me today? The church must wake up. I said the church must wake up and come back to life. So, to talk about it this morning, I ask you to join me in the book of Ezekiel. You know where I'm going, chapter 37. It's one of my favorite pictures of the Old Testament. So I ask you to hear the words of the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37 starting with the first verse. The Lord took hold of me, what a statement that is, the Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. And then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you're the only one who knows that. Only you, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, so speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says, look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me, and suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. Wouldn't you like to have been there for that? There was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bones, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, come from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies, and they all came to life and stood up on their feet a great army may the lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today it has been the pattern of humanity that we repeatedly find ourselves facing the impossibilities which come with the valley of dry bones i am sure i don't need to describe to anyone in this room today what a valley is brent has just sung about it we understand what that's like we've been talking couple of Sundays recently about being in a wilderness. Well, this is the same idea, being in the valley of dry bones. But simply put, throughout history, the church has often found itself inwardly confused and outwardly defeated. Why? Well, there's reasons for that. Because too often we have folded our hands as a church, we've stepped back from the true work of God, we've fallen asleep spiritually, and ultimately we find ourselves robbed of our strength. In the passage we just read, we find the prophet was transported, as, you, as we read, into a valley of death, surrounded on all sides by bones. This death scene seemed endless and hopeless. Because here's what we can read about it. These, these were not recently expired corpses, but miscellaneous bones scattered everywhere across the ground, and they were completely dried out. This scene symbolized the attitude of the people of Israel at that time. Their hopes for themselves their, as a people, their hopes for their future, were, n- were not just merely dead. They were, in fact, dismembered and desiccated. And that word means they were powder dry. Not just dry, but dry unto unto powder. In order for me to draw the parallels, Bethesda, of that day and time and how Israel became a valley of dry bones and juxtapose it to where we are today as a nation, I got to talk about some uglies for just a minute. Don't want to, but I need to. Some people don't like it when I do it, and I get that, and I promise this message will get better. Just just give me a couple of minutes. Because for the moment, without apology, without apology, let me remind you of Solomon's words in Proverbs 24. He says this, I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds and its walls were broken down. And then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson, a little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. I believe that it could be said of the church that it has fallen asleep. That's why our theme for this year is Wake Us Up. I think it's true. The church has in many ways fallen asleep. The church in this church age has become slothful and has moved away in many regards from the true work of God, which is the honoring of Christ in all things. It is the supernatural walk of the Holy Spirit. It is the moving to see the masses that are living in darkness and headed for an eternity without God, brought into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It would appear as though we moved from the compassion of God, which was exhibited on the cross to a very inward focus. I don't like saying it. I don't like talking about it, but I believe I'm telling you the truth this morning. We've even allowed theological perspectives to be developed within the church of Jesus Christ, which has largely been responsible for the body of Christ turning inwardly, resulting in In people coming to the house of God week after week, month after month, looking almost exclusively for some new thing for themselves, only to find that while the church was so very self-focused, the enemy came in, Satan came in undetected by us through gaps in the walls. We've talked about that and, and has been, literally, we've handed him the opportunity to rob this entire generation of its hope and its future. Am I telling you the truth? Decisions we have made individually and in, in family units have led us to extremely undesirable outcomes, leaving us to look for solutions to an inescapable evil that has come within our borders. That's where we find ourselves. Morality has gone to the wind. Family units are dying all around us. That which we thought was wrong is becoming right, and that which is right is becoming wrong. And now at a very accelerated pace but as the Church of Jesus Christ we are called to be that power that force of God in the earth that pushes back that restrains the lawless heart of of those who do not Know God. We are called as the church of Jesus Christ to push back against the heart of those who would say something like this I can be as God and I can make the determination of that which is evil and that which is good. And somehow, even though I want the privilege and ability to to declare what I think is evil and good, somehow I will still arrive at a utopian end, whether that's here uh, on earth or in the hereafter, if they even believe in such. We are living in a valley of dry bones, church. It is an impossible place, which is exactly what confronted the prophet Ezekiel. We read that God took hold of Ezekiel and carried him away to this valley filled with bones. There were lots of them, and as we've discovered, they were very dry. There was was lifelessness. There was no sense of expectancy for the future. They were expressionless. This was a people who who actually did not set out to be spiritually dead. They had been religious people. They didn't plan on dying around the altars they had built, but that is exactly what happened. And the end of verse 2 of our text says this, they were completely dried out, completely dried out. It's a very strong word when you look at it in the Hebrew here. It implies that they literally had the sterility of a eunuch, meaning that they were incapable of producing life. That's what the Valley of Dry Bones is all about. So, Pastor Dan, why do you make such a point of all this? Well, very simply because I believe that if we as a church, if we're going to become what God would have us to be and to become all that God has called us to be and would have us be, that we have to get to the point of agreeing with God concerning where we are today. Further, I still believe it to be true that the end of the natural is the beginning of the supernatural. Think about that a minute. When we reach our end, The end of the natural is the beginning of the supernatural. That's what gives me hope for tomorrow. So what what is that point, Pastor Dan, that you're talking about when you when you reach that point? It's the point when we stop making excuses for the fact that we have oh 120 or so churches, probably not too far from where we are right now, in, in and every town in our in, in the community, uh, in every county, have 120 churches, and we can't change our own block. We stop making excuses for that because at the beginning of the church age, in the book of Acts, 120 people changed the entire known world. We have to look at that and evaluate ourselves by that. And we cannot be afraid to be real about exactly who we are and who we are not. And I think many in this room today would agree that to an increasing measure, we find ourselves in an impossible place. Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can these dry bones live? Can these bones become living people again, was the question that God posed to Ezekiel. Now, to answer that question, it takes absolutely no faith to say no. Can these bones live? No. Now, you carry that anywhere you want to carry that. It takes no faith to answer no to God's question, can these bones live? Anybody can do that. Anybody can live on the side of unbelief. You don't have to know Scripture. You don't have to have any sense of character. It takes no strength at all to live on the side of unbelief. And actually, I, I rather think that when God asked this question of Ezekiel, the the rather expected answer was, no, I mean, look look at it. They're dead. They're like really dead and dry. However, Ezekiel knew that God's power is unlimited, so he was just smart enough to turn the question back to God. God, should, only the, you're sovereign, only you know. You see, The real issue is not whether the Lord was able to make the bones live, but whether or not it was His will to to do so. When God asked Ezekiel this impossible question, the bones of the testimony of God in the earth at that time were scattered. They were dysfunctional and utterly powerless, nothing left of life whatsoever. Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel said, you're the only one, Lord, who would know that. And so God said, Ezekiel, stand up there and prophesy to these bones and say this, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. Now think about that for just a second. What? was God saying? He was basically saying, speak to them by divine power, Ezekiel. Speak to them in a prophetic voice. Sing to them by divine power. That's what he was asking Ezekiel to stand and sing to dry bones or to speak to dry bones. How crazy was that? How senseless was that? Do you know, Bethesda, what God was really asking Ezekiel to do in that second? He was saying, Ezekiel, be willing, hear me, be willing to be considered a madman. Be willing to be considered crazy by those who lack understanding of the ways of God. Because that's a crazy thing to ask him to do. And God was saying, Are you willing to be considered a madman for the sake of what I want to do? Isn't it interesting that those who live in the natural would consider those who live in the supernatural to be a madman? Hmm. Are you still breathing, church? But I don't think I have to remind you because I think you know this. In the kingdom of God, everything is turned upside down. The way the world sees something, just turn it upside down, and that's the way it works in the kingdom of God those who live in the supernatural question the sensibilities of those who merely live in the natural now let me say this i want to bring appropriate balance to this because i believe with every fiber of my being what i'm telling you there are times god literally asks us to step out and do something that doesn't seem sane or rational i don't know if you've ever had that experience but that can happen now, as pastors on staff here, and there, any of our pastors would concur with this, with all the counseling we do, there are days when our prayer is, God, would you just put some common sense in this person today? Is there, could we just give a little bit of sanity to them? Can they, could we just, could they just get up and uh, tomorrow morning and make one good life management choice today? Sometimes that's what we're tr- trying to help them get through. That is also true. But I'm talking about, When it comes in the realm of the Spirit, there are those times God asks us to do something that defies our common sense. It defies even what we think is normal or acceptable. It defies our culture, and God was asking him to do something that made no sense, because he's God. Somebody say amen to something. If you read about the Welsh Revival of 1904... There was a young man named Evan Roberts. He was, <laughs> he was simply a, um, a preacher in training. He, uh, they had given him a small Sunday school class to teach. But he also happened to be a young man of prayer. And in prayer, God told him that there was going to be a great touch of the Holy Spirit come down on the nation of Wales. And it would spread from that nation and touch much of the known world. And in this little place called Moriah Chapel, Evan Roberts got up and began to preach this that God had given him, that a great revival was coming on the nation of Wales. It would spread everywhere. As it is told, crowds began to gather, not because they believed him, but because they thought he was nuts. They just couldn't imagine how that something was going to happen in this small place was going to touch the whole known world. And many of the ministers who were part of his training would come to uh, hear him. And as the story is told, they just, they just would shake their heads and would begin to, uh, as he would begin to preach about this coming touch of God. And they would say to each other, oh, what a tragedy. He was such a fine young man, and we held out such hope for him. But here's the thing. The young man had heard from God. God. Those other ministers could not possibly fathom that with all of their degrees and all of their study and all the things upon which they pride themselves. They could not imagine why God would speak to a young man who was simply in charge of a small Sunday school class. But Bethesda, isn't that the way God always works? Doesn't he always take that which is unlikely, the least likely? and call and put a calling upon them to do something that nobody would expect. He never seems to choose the one that seems to be the brightest star or the, or the most gifted or the most talented. He doesn't seem to do that. Remember, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, consider your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Why? The answer Paul also gives us: so that no man may boast before God. If you're like me, then you know that God God takes us in our nothingness, in our weakness, in our powerlessness to do things for His glory. Aren't you thankful for that today, Ezekiel? Can these bones live? When you think of the second chapter of Acts, when Peter and the apostles stood out before the crowd and think of, of these people that were in the upper room that day. Have you really have you looked over the roster of that lately and looked to see what basically failures, every one of them. Every last one of them. The hundred and twenty gathered in the upper Failures. Because when Jesus needed them, they ran. Even after three years of living in a visible demonstration of the power of God, watching him perform miracles, they saw Jesus walk on water. Peter himself walked on water. They saw the miracles. They knew the power of God. And yet, at critical moments, they ran. The entire upper room was filled with what some would... Today, we'd probably say they're losers. They, they, They were failures, if you will. And yet, when it was time to pour out the Spirit of God, did God bypass them? Was it because of what they had done or or, or, or that they were deserving? Did God look at them and say, look at the mess you've made. Look at the wrong choices you've made. Look how you've done this wrong. Look how you've done that wrong. Look at the times you've boasted and yet failed. No. No. They were all together in that room, and they knew they were weak. They knew they needed the strength of God. And folks, I want to remind us all today, that is the key, is knowing that we are in our weakness, knowing that we need the strength of God, knowing that within us there is nothing that can get this job done. It's going to be all God or nothing at all. If we think we are able to bring something to the table... If we have any measure of pride in our own accomplishments or in our own strength, we will never fully know the power of God. The blessing of the Lord is for those who finally come to the end of themselves, those who finally come to the natural end, ready to step into the supernatural that God has for them. It is for those who say, Lord, I come to you just as I am. I come to you in my brokenness. I come to you in my hopelessness. I come to you in my failures. I come to you in my weaknesses. I bring this whole mess, and I bring the sum total of it to you, and I trust that you will be able to somehow raise these dry bones from the dead and bring honor and glory to your name. Ezekiel, can these bones live? And when all the failures, the losers, came walking out of that upper room, every one of them were God-gripped. I love that phrase. Oh, let that sweep across Bethesda today. Let there come a hunger within us, within each of us, to be God-gripped, gripped by the hand of God. Amen? Amen. Every one of those that were in the upper room came walking out, God-gripped. Every last one of them suddenly infused with God's Holy Spirit, suddenly infused with the life of God. Scriptures come uh, to life in their hearts. Strength is bubbling over like springs of living water. And just as Jesus had once promised that out of their inward parts would flow rivers of living water, every One of them were given the ability to speak and to do things that they know did not come from themselves. All of them, according to Scripture, speaking the wonderful works of God. And by the way, in languages that they did not know. They were speaking of the future that God was going to give them. Speaking of things that God was about to do as the Holy Spirit made it known in their hearts, there was a life that came within them in spite of the fact that the mockers looked upon them and said, oh, these people are drunk. They're, they're intoxicated. And you remember Peter had to get up and say, no, no, no. We're not drunk as, as you suppose. It's but the third hour of the day, 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is that. Say it with me. This is that. Come on one more time. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that which was spoken long ago in the name of God by someone who was considered in his day and time to be a madman, considered to be crazy. This is the madman who bravely spoke out that something is going to happen in these last days. These bones shall live. And then he says, it will come to pass. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters... Prophesy. It makes me want to ask the question, God, can these dry bones live again? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your sons and your daughters, whether they are still in your home or whether they are adults living on their own, your sons and daughters will know the ways of God. Can these dry bones live, oh God? Your sons and daughters will not be bound by what they see with their natural eye or what they know with their natural mind. The Spirit of God is going to come upon them because there will be another voice speaking inside of them which they will learn to agree with. Oh, Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? They will begin to speak the Word of God with authority and to speak the things that are not as if they are. They will begin to speak prophetically to other people saying things like, I know what you are today and I, I know what you think you are today, but I'm going to speak prophetically and tell you this is what you're going to be tomorrow if you will let God's Holy Spirit come upon you. How many are ready for revival to, to sweep across your sons and daughters? Oh, come on! Who's in the house today praying for your kids? Folks, we have a dry, valley of dry bones with our younger people today. Not all of them thank God. But When you look across the landscape of the church, when you look across the landscape of the church in this country, we have a valley of dry bones and we need to get earnest before God and quit the little thing of making excuses, quit the little golf clap, yeah, we should do that. When are we gonna get earnest before God? When are we gonna believe that God can raise those bones to life once again? When's it gonna happen? What's it gonna require of you? What's it going to require of the church that these bones will live again? Your sons and daughters will speak prophetically with authority. Your young men will see visions. In other words, there will be something of the future given to those who belong to God. They're going to see something when everything around them is hopelessness and despair. It says, your old men will dream dreams. That Even the elderly will not be limited by age or lack of strength anymore. Hallelujah. Because they will understand this incredibly important principle in God's kingdom. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. (laughs) Ezekiel, can these bones live? And also the prophet Joel said, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below. Blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord's coming. And then we get verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Are we part of those who are far away? You better believe we are. We're 2,000 years far away from when this was written. We're in Fort Worth, Texas far away. We're culturally far away. We're geographically far away. We're about as far away as you can get. But the promise, Bethesda, is just as real today. It is just as viable for us today as it was the day it was spoken. Hallelujah to the name of the Lord Jesus. For we are those who have been called by the Lord our God. And I want to say this to you. If you have not received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, there is no better day than today. No better day than today to simply lift your heart and say, God, I'm ready. I'm a candidate. I want to receive the infilling of your precious Holy Spirit. The call is simple. It's very simple. Turn, turn, turn from your sin and turn to God. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's talk about this baptism that he speaks of. What is that? When you go down in that water, you know what you're saying? I die to what I thought I was. I'm dying to my own strength. I die to my whole sense of self that that I would try to infuse into the kingdom of God. How dare I even try to do that? I die to it all. But when I come up, out of the water, I'm coming up with the life of another living within me. Hallelujah. I'm coming up with the, another source of strength. I'm coming up with another source of wisdom, something far beyond what I've ever had before. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm ready to go get baptized again right now. And you shall receive, he said, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's what we can say about that. You and I. Every one of us in this room, every one of us watching by online today, we need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh touch, every one of us, once again. We need the strength of God. We need the wisdom of God. We need the Spirit of the Almighty God. And we cannot, church, be satisfied until God's Holy Spirit fills us, until we are gripped by the power of God, until we are God-gripped, say that phrase with me, god gripped come on say it again because there is no other hope for this generation we're living in and there is no other way these dry bones will live so let's get back to ezekiel 37 verse 7 says so i spoke this message just as he told me suddenly as i spoke there was this rattling noise all across the valley the bones of each body came together and attach themselves as complete skeletons. So Ezekiel, we see here, did as he was instructed, and these bones came together into whole bodies. However, a body of bones, even with muscles and flesh, is still, and skin, it's, it's still a corpse. These people still had to be filled with breath if they were to live, just as the, we know in Genesis 2, God breathed the breath of life into, into mankind. Verse 8, then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. When I was meditating on this and working through this, I couldn't help but sing, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. Do you know you're only breathing right now where you sit because God's put that breath in your lungs? You're only alive today because when you got up this morning, that heart in your chest was still beating because God caused that to happen. It's your breath in our lungs, so that's why we pour out our praise. This word breath in the Hebrew, many of you know is it, it's ruach. And uh, it means there was no creative word of God within them. Another translation of it is this. It is air put in motion by divine breath. So those bones, they stood But they were not yet empowered by the ruach, by the breath of God. When God speaks into your life, he puts something into motion, and the only thing which can stop it is your unbelief. When we read the word of God, we receive his promises as if it were literally the breath of God himself coming into our lives. And as you receive that breath of God through the promise of God and His Word to you, then you stand back and watch what God is going to do with that Word that He's placed within you as He takes you from glory to glory and from grace to grace and from revelation to revelation. And then change, real change, genuine change becomes actualized in your life as the power of the breath of God, Ruach, saturates your being. I know people would say, nobody ever changes. I want to tell you, you're wrong about that. You're wrong about that. I have seen many people, in fact, there's been a testimony given in this very pulpit just a few years back of someone who had been uh, basically uh, soured up their whole life they had been critical, they had been cynical, they had been ugly their entire life. And by the power of God, the breath of God coming in them, the Word of God saturated their being. They literally changed and was witnessed by all of their family members, the ones close around them, that God had done something and put the breath of God within them. I was talking to my son, Shader, last just yesterday, and he was speaking of another situation where he said, you know, uh, I was talking about a certain person that we both knew, and he said, there's something different. It's not the way it used to be. I don't see the, the cynicism and the criticism. I don't see that anymore in that person because obviously something has happened. I want you to know today that when the breath of God, the ruach of God comes in and fills your being, you, you can expect change to take place. And when that happens, and you then begin to prophesy, when God gets a hold of you, as Ezekiel said, he took hold of me, you begin to prophesy that declaring that God has not given you, he's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You begin to prophesy that, uh, that through you, others are going to come to Christ and experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ. You begin to prophesy. You begin to say things you otherwise would not have said. You begin to prophesy to the fact that your life is going to be a demonstration of the testimony of Christ, and your life is going to be a declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So verse 9 says this of Ezekiel 37. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. In other words, it's another way of saying, I claim the four winds of your breath, O God, from the north, from the south, from the east, and from the west. Stephanie said it this morning, surround me, surround me surround me. How many of you are ready to claim the four winds of the breath of God to surround you today? Lord, speak to me from the north. Speak to me from the south. Speak to me from the east. Speak to me from the west. Cause me to live. Can the church say amen to that today? That which we pray individually. We must pray as a local fellowship, as Bethesda Church. We must pray also as the global church, that we claim the four winds of your breath, O God, upon us as a fellowship. Cause us to live with your divine presence within us. Speak to us from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Cause us to live, and Lord, not just us, your church, Globally needs the Holy Spirit. Lord, send it to the Baptists. Send it to the Methodists. Send it to the Presbyterians. Send it to the Lutherans. Send it to the Church of Christ. Send it to the Church of God. All the Charismatics, all the Pentecostals. Give us a sense that we need to once again be united in you. One body, rising up again. Let these dead bones live again. Waking up again for the sake of Christ Jesus. Every touch of God that has ever come into the earth from the beginning of time has always involved a coming together of the true body of Christ. Those of you who've been around a long time know that Pastor Des used to stand at this pulpit and say, Lord, crisscross the city of Fort Worth today. Any place in the name of Jesus is being raised. From the Methodist church in the east to the Lutheran church in the west, crisscross this city. Broad thinking man, understanding what the body of Christ was supposed to be that we're united in Christ Jesus. Do we have a little differences here and there? Yeah, whatever. Get past that because we're still one in Christ Jesus. Will there always be skeptics on the periphery? Will there always be naysayers? Will there always be critics? Yes. Will there always be cynics? Yes. Standing on the sidelines telling the rest of us how to do it better because they seem to know. I have always believed the adage that says those with experience should not be subject to those with simply an opinion. Think about that for a moment. Just ignore them. Those with experience ignore those who who simply have an opinion because the body of Christ has to come together again. I don't know about you, but I don't really care what name is over the door as long as the blood of Jesus has been applied there and the Spirit of God is reigning supreme in that house. Can these bones live? Yes! (laughs) Cause us to live once again, oh God. Cause the church to live Once again, God, visit your church one more time. One more time, let the church say amen. Would you stand with me this morning, church? I don't know about you, but I have a deep sense within me that somehow God has saved the best wine for the last part of our story. And I'm praying that God let us live to see Our individual testimony, the testimony of Bethesda Church, the testimony of the global church of Jesus Christ to simply be this, I was dead, but now I live. I was hopeless, but now I have hope. I was blind, but now I see. I was powerless, but now Christ within me has given me power. Church, it is not by might, it is not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Put your hands together and give him praise this morning.